0: So with that, uh, I'd invite you guys to turn to Genesis chapter 26. We're continuing to walk through this first book of our Bible. Genesis 26 is where we have arrived today. And at this time, I'm going to invite Brandon to pray up. And he is going to read Genesis 26 for us in its entirety. And so... uh... We, uh, we were trying to think of ways we could reduce it down or whatnot, but it's just a great time for us just to recognize God's Word and that we can, we can celebrate the reading of God's Word together. So uh, I'd invite you all to stand with us as we read in Genesis 26. The
1: days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the man of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, Lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, She is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled, and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given him, given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Jar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that well also. And so he called... Its name Sitnith. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the lands. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And then there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzeth, his advisor, and Phicol, to commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has blessed you and been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have not done to you anything, nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So we made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace." That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Saiba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that you have not left us to ourselves just to figure all this out, but you have spoken to us. You have revealed yourself to us. You have given us your plan of redemption, your plan to restore all things. And so as we look at your word, I pray that our hearts would be revealed um, to, to know and behold you this morning. As we lift up our eyes, we, like the psalmist, we ask, God, where does our help come from? And let us remember together that our help comes from the Lord. You are the one who has made all things, and you are the one who continues to keep us in your hands. So as we look at the life of Isaac this morning, let us remember that truth, that you are always faithful, even when we are often faithless. So we just pray that your word would uh, dive deep into our hearts, that it would transform us, that you would change us, reshape us this morning. It's in your beautiful name that I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, certainly we've all heard the phrase, like father, like son, right? You know, uh, I could even ask, in what ways are you like maybe your father or your mother? You know, maybe, maybe you're more like your mother. Maybe you have characteristics like your father. Maybe a little of both. Children often inherit characteristics, personality traits, patterns like their parents, right? And I even thought o- about maybe including the children this morning and having them shout out the ways that they're like their parents, but um, I was fearful because I thought that uh, we might run into something like what happened uh, with me this week when I tried this with my children. I, uh, I asked my, my two older boys, I said, hey guys, Carson, Landon, uh, how are you guys like mommy or daddy? How, how are you guys like us? And uh, they thought for a minute, and, uh, Car- and Landon, the younger one, he said, uh, well, I'm like mommy because I like to organize things and I like to plan things. Then Carson said, yeah, I'm like mommy because I love people. Then Carson said... But, Daddy, I'm like you because sometimes I get angry and I forget things. <laughs> so, you got to be careful when you ask your kids to be honest with you. So, we've got some things to work on. But uh, sons will often follow in the footsteps and be like their, like, sons will often be like their fathers, and we see that, and sometimes for good and sometimes for bad, and today, we look at the life of Isaac, the promised child. We see that he follows in the footsteps of Abraham very clearly. If you compare chapter 26 to what took place in, back in chapter 12 and then in chapters 20 and 21, it's almost a, a complete rehearsal of, of, of Abraham's life and kind of his journeys. In some ways, he, we see that Isaac manifests things that, that are good, and then in other times, we see that He manifests the same brokenness that we've been seeing in humanity all the way back that started in Genesis chapter 3. But as we land on Genesis chapter 26, if you haven't been with us in this sermon series, we've been walking through this book of Genesis. And what we've been, been doing is we've been tracing the story of God and His, his plan to mend the brokenness of this world. We see that the world is corrupted by sin and God is about telling us this story of how he's going to redeem it. And so for all the kids who are here today, kids, if you're here, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, and trust me, I know what it's like to sit through a long, boring sermons. As a kid, I sat through a lot of them, but if you can get one thing, get this. The Bible is telling us one story. It's not like Mother Goose's nursery rhymes. It's not like Aesop's fables that just have these little stories that kind of teach us these little lessons. But the Bible is one, is all these little stories telling us this one big story. Tells us a story about God, about who we are, and what God has done throughout the world to bring us back into relationship with Him. And so for the kids here, God is telling you a story of how you can know Him. And so as we track with the story of Isaac, we need to remember that since Genesis chapter 3, we've been looking for this one, right, that would crush the serpent's head, but we haven't seen him yet. He hasn't come along. We've passed through all these different characters up to this point, and we haven't yet found this serpent crusher. But Abraham, he received this promise that he would have this great big family, and that, that through this family, all of the world would be blessed. And so we're in the middle of this developing. And after much waiting and, and uncertainty and, and, and the, the struggle of, of not being able to have children, finally, after all this time... We see the promised son is born, and Isaac has been born a couple chapters ago, right? And what's interesting is that for all the anticipation, all the waiting, everything we were waiting, you know, we were waiting for this son to come, for all of that, Isaac actually doesn't play a huge role. For, For much of it, he's almost a side character to his father Abraham, and then almost skips over just to focus on his sons of Jacob and Esau. And it's really only in chapter 26 where we really get to look at the, the life and the, the kind of actions and responses in the life of Isaac. This is kind of his spotlight, his center stage, is in chapter 26. And what this passage we'll see serves to tell us in the greater narrative is that God's provision overcomes all obstacles as his faithfulness endures from one generation to the next. God's faithfulness endures from one generation to the next. And we'll follow Isaac in three points today. And that's why we, we have that handout for the kids. On there we have our three points of the day. So kids, this is for you. If you can, fill in all those three blanks as, as, we, as we deliver those today. This was Daniel's idea, so his, his concept, try to get you engaged. If you, can, if you can fill out those three points as I deliver them to you, then after the service... Find, find Mr. Daniel, and he has something for you. So a uh, little test for you. If you could fill out the, the three points today, then Mr. Daniel will give you something after the gathering. So your first one right now, get ready. You're ready. The first one that we see here in this passage is in verses 1 to 6. We see the sprouting faith of the covenant son. We see the sprouting faith of the covenant son. Faith. For all you ones writing that down. Got it, got it. Okay, freebie on the first one. The sprouting faith of the covenant son. Chapter 26 begins by telling us that there is a famine in the land. And just in case this sounds like the author is beginning to mix up his stories, he clarifies that this is a famine different from the one that his father Abraham went through that was first mentioned back in chapter 12, verse 10. It's a different time, but it's happened again. But not only this detail, but all the, the, the ones that will follow in this story, will cause us to remember the life of Abraham, right? And Isaac is seen throughout this chapter following a similar path like his father. And it first begins by him confronting this famine. What is he going to do? He's already living in the farthest southern regions of the, of the land. And Isaac then, in, in, in light of this famine, there's no provision, no food to be found. He heads to the ter- territory of the Philistines, And he meets up with Abimelech. He runs into this Philistine king. Now possibly this is the same guy that that his father Abraham uh, met uh, many chapters ago. But likely this is a different guy that just bears the same title of Abimelech. Abimelech is more of a title than a name. And so it's likely a different guy. Could be the same guy, but probably somebody different. And likely Isaac is seeking refuge in this famine from the Philistines and from this, this king, Abimelech. But he's also considering and thinking about maybe continuing on and heading down to Egypt. Because in Egypt, there's the Nile River, and it's, it's probably much more plentiful, and he could probably be cared for and taken care of down in Egypt. And that's what his father Abraham had done back in Genesis chapter 12. But it tells us in verse 2 that the Lord then appears to Isaac, and he says to him, he says, don't go down to Egypt. That's what his father had done. But now God says, don't go down there. He says, stay in the promised land. He says, trust me. I'm working out these promises in in, in Abraham and in his family. He says, trust me. I will take care of you. I will be with you. I will bless you. And God says, the promise that I made to your father still stands. To you and to your family, I'm going to give this land and my covenant with Abraham will be fulfilled. And God continues to reiterate the ongoing assurance of his covenant promises with Isaac. And just as Abraham believed God by faith, Isaac is called to act in faith. And verse 6 tells us what? It says, he settled in Gerar. So he acts in belief. He does not go to Egypt. He responds in faith to what God is telling him, and he stays. We see his faith in God, in, in God rising up and sprouting. And just think about this. At this point, Abraham has died. His father is gone. It would have been easy for Isaac to walk away from Yahweh saying, Well, that, that land of promise stuff, that was, that was daddy's deal. That was his thing. He was dragging us around all over the place. We, you know what? I'm, I'm, that's not for me. I think I need to just like head down to Egypt. I need to take care of my family, take care of myself, and I'm going I'm to head out. It would have been very easy for him to do that. That was daddy's faith. That was. That was for Abraham. But, Ab- but Isaac is called to choose for himself to believe that the promises of God are for him as well. He can't just depend on what his father had done. Now Isaac had seen God provide for his father, right? This was the kid who, who was tied up and laid on an altar about to be killed and then God provided a ram as a substitute for him. He lived through that. This was, the, this was the kid who saw God answer his prayer to, to uh, get, a, get him a wife, for, for Abraham to pray and get him a wife as he sent his servant on this crazy adventure, this crazy trip out east to come and bring him a wife. He, he was the, the man who saw God provide providentially in that way. This was also the same, same guy who just spent 20 years praying for his own wife then for Rebecca to have a child and he saw God answer that. So he's he's seen God work in his family's life over time. But now it's almost as if he's he's called again to believe that the promises of God are for him as well and for his family. And here Isaac is extended grace even amidst adversity. There's no obvious sign of provision for them and in the face of adversity Isaac has extended grace and promised that God will continue to be with him. I think there's a challenge for us, and specifically even our kids who are here today, for all the kids that are with us. It's not enough for your parents to follow Jesus. It's not enough for them to to drag you to church and bring you to church each week. It's not enough for, for, for them to even just read the Bible with you regularly. But ultimately, for every child in here, for every person in here, the call to respond in faith to the gospel of what God has done for you is extended to you personally, to receive by faith the promises of God in the gospel for yourself. It's not good enough that just mommy and daddy believe it, but do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus has died and that the promises of God are for you as well? And will you, will you see faith sprout up in your own heart and in your own life? we need to move on to the next point point number two kids if you're paying attention point number two verses seven through eleven show us the repeated failures of the covenant son the repeated failures of the covenant son after reading verse six we should feel a sense of relief right the hope of redemption is alive this son is not acting like his father he's not leaving the land but he's responding in faith to Yahweh but then we get to verse 7, and it quickly changes. Isaac, when asked, who, 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 who's Rebecca? Who's this Rebecca with you? How does he respond? He says, uh, oh, her, um, yeah, she's my sister. She's my sister. And we're like, really? Come on, man. Like, haven't we seen this before? Actually, twice before. Abraham did this, did this twice, once back in Egypt, and then another time he did this with Abimelech in the land of the Philistines. We're like, Isaac, you have got to be kidding me. And like father, like son, Isaac lies about his wife. He puts her in a vulnerable position just to try to save his own skin first and foremost. And you would think this would be something that Isaac... Would, would, would be well aware of in the family history, right? I don't imagine that Sarah let Abraham quickly forget this. This had to be like a family story, right, that you kind of tell to people, you know, over dinner or whatever. Oh, remember that time when you, you know, almost, almost got me, uh, gave me away to another man? You know, you'd think that Isaac, of all the things he learned from his mom, would be like, don't do this to your wife. And yet, Isaac still repeats this pattern and does the same thing. He lies just like his father. We see the same flawed, Humanity, even in Isaac. But after he's there for quite some time, this event happens where, as he's pretending that that uh, Rebecca is his is his sister, one day Abimelech looks out his window, and he sees Isaac and Rebecca. And it says, if if you're reading if you're reading the ESV, what it says is that he sees Isaac and Rebecca laughing together. But in your Bible, you'll probably also have a footnote on this, uh, on that word "laughing," which uh, which tells us that there's something else is going on here. There's there's something else that's getting at. It's actually a play on names. If if Isaac's name is uh, he he laughs, and so somehow it's it's a play on words here, indicating something else is going on. And uh, Abimelech sees this and and recognizes, and he thinks, you know what? I don't think she's your sister. Because there's certain things you just don't do with your sister. And uh, this week, I came home after studying this and looking at this, and I was like, hey, babe, we, we got a new code word. And so, uh, you know, when the, kids, when the kids ask, hey, what were we doing last night? Hey, We were just laughing together. Just spent some time laughing together. But uh, kids will get that in five or six years. So, <laughs> That's true. That's true. But what we see here in this um, is that, that upon discovering that, uh, that, that Isaac and Rebekah are actually married, he says, hey, Isaac, why did you do this? Why did you lie to us about this? Like, you could have, you could have put us in a bad place. One of one of our people could have easily taken her, and, and then you would have brought guilt upon us. And he, he rebukes Isaac for this lie that he, that, that, that he did. But again, what we see in this is just like Abraham, we see God's grace extended, that despite Isaac's lack of faith and his lies, God still protects him when Abimelech then says, because Abimelech then goes on and says, hey, nobody's going to touch Isaac and Rebekah. If you you do, you're going to be put to death. And God even through Abimelech protects and extends grace to Isaac, even in his failure. And what we see here is the same theme that we see over and over and over throughout the Bible, That God continues to use flawed people to accomplish His purposes. Because the success of God's promises does not depend on the recipients of those promises, but it depends on the one who is giving them. And that is such good news for us. Because how many of us have repeated failures, Not not just twice, three times, but over and over and over again, we see these patterns of unbelief, of rebellion rise up in us, we, we recognize our brokenness and we're like, how long can God stay with me? How long can He forgive me? How long will he, will he extend His forgiveness and His mercy and His favor in my life? And throughout the lives of the patriarchs, throughout the whole history of Israel, we see that it doesn't depend on us, it depends on God who is faithful to His promises. Even amidst the repeated failures of the covenant son. we move on again to our third point, kind of the biggest section of the passage, verses 12 through 31. Our third point is the continuing faithfulness of the covenant God, the continuing faithfulness of the covenant God. And I know that's kind of redundant to have continued faithfulness, but that's kind of the point. We see this just redundant over and over again, reiterated. God is faithful beyond faithful. He, he, he will just continue with it and commit to it no matter what. And verse 12 begins this section where we see the ongoing provision of God in Isaac's life, even amidst obstacles. The first area of blessing that we see is in the abundance of fruitful crops. Remember, right at the beginning, there's a famine going on, right? It's kind of hard to grow stuff in a famine, right? That's that's the whole issue of a famine. So there's limited water supply. We can't grow stuff. So that's the setting. But for Isaac, it says in verse 12, it says, Isaac sowed in the land. And what happened Says that he reaped plentiful harvest. A hundred times over that year, he, his, whatever he planted just kept reproducing. And when everybody else doesn't have any food, they're coming to him and buying it from him. And so amidst these circumstances, what do we see? We see that he becomes wealthy, incredibly wealthy. He gains flocks, herds, servants, just like his father did when he left Egypt. Isaac accumulates so much wealth, he becomes so wealthy that it puts him in tension with the Philistines. They're jealous of his success, this outsider who's come in and is taking over. And they say, hey, you just need to leave. You need to get out of here. We don't want you around here anymore. You're mightier than us. We don't want any issues. You just need to leave. And so he actually gets rejected by them and kicked out of town. So Isaac leaves and he settles in kind of the valley area. And then we have this description of Isaac digging multiple wells. I'm sure when Brandon was reading it earlier, he thought, man, this is riveting. This is exciting stuff, you know, just digging wells in the desert. But, uh, but what's going on is he's, he's rehearsing and, and just bringing us back to the life of Abraham and reiterating the provision of God here. So it says that the, the wells that Abraham, his father, had previously dug had been filled in by the Philistines. They had, they, had, they had almost tried to block out any history of Abraham being there, kind of kicked out his memory in the land and his right and claim on any of the land, and they're kind of taking it back over. And so Isaac comes back through and he's he's redigging these wells, and as he digs wells, he keeps finding water. Which is really important, right? Because in the desert, water equals life. It equals hope. But as he digs these wells, he, he, it brings him into conflict with, the, with these other herdsmen. So he has to separate and move on, kind of taking us back to the story of Abraham and Lot, right? And so he digs these wells, and, and there's tension, there's fighting. So he names one contention, he names the other one enmity, and he has to just keep moving on, trying to find more. But each time as he goes, he's like, "And is God is going to provide again? Is there going to be water here? Am I going to be taken care of? And each time he digs, they find water. He finally gets to this, this, this final place that, that he calls, he, he names it Rehoboth because there isn't any tension. And that word Rehoboth means room in the Hebrew. God has, And, and he's, he's recognizing that God has provided him room, a place to live, a place to be, and a place to settle in the land. God is fulfilling His promises to Isaac, even in providing him space, providing abundance of water even in the face of adversity. And so we, we, we just over and over again see that God provides for His people against all obstacles in the face of any struggles. Isaac then moves up to Beersheba. This was the place that Abraham was back in chapter 21 where Abraham made a covenant with Abimelech. And God again speaks to Isaac After retracing the steps of his father, as he's been walking in faith for these years in God's promises, God once again declares these words. He says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. He says, I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And isn't that such a good word for us? that we always need to be reminded of God's promises over and over again. You know, as I was preparing for the sermon, I'm like, man, how can, we, how can we put a fresh spin on this? How can we, like, approach this differently? Because it's just kind of the same thing again. Like, hey, God's faithful, and we've heard that before, right? And I just was like, no, that's, that's the point. We need to hear this over and over. We need to be rooted in this reality. Do you believe it? We so easily just forget we doubt. We walk out of church on Sunday feeling just, just strengthened, encouraged, and we just walk out into the world and we just we struggle to believe. And this whole book is just over and over and over just beating it in. God is faithful. I will be with you. I will fulfill my promises. I'm not letting go. I, this will happen. And over and over again, God is extending His grace to us in these repeated promises. And this entire chapter is shouting out to us that even though Abraham is gone, the promises of God are still intact. His covenant is still enduring. And God will not fail in his promises. And then this story closes with this unexpected visit of Abimelech to see Isaac. Isaac. And at first, Isaac responds and says, hey, hey, Abimelech, why are you guys here? You guys hate me, right? You kicked me out of the land. Why are, you, why are you coming to see me? And I love Abimelech's response. He says, Yeah, we did that. But you know what? At the end of the day, Isaac, we clearly see that the Lord has been with you. Which is awesome. Even amidst, like, the deception and everything that Isaac had done, kind of destroyed kind of his testimony, if you will, with, with this pagan leader, God still blesses him and still manifests his presence and Abimelech comes and doesn't say, you know, Isaac, I just think you're a real stand-up guy. You're a great man of faith. You're awesome. Because it doesn't depend on Isaac. He says, no, regardless of what you are, you're kind of a mess-up. But you know what? God is with you. God is still with you. He's, he's doing this in you. Everything that I've seen in your life can only be attributed to the fact that, that God is with you and he's taking care of you. And Abimelech says, like, let's, create a, let's enter into a, an oath together, a covenant, and I want, I want to have protection from you and, and receive this from you. And what we see is this pagan who is confirming the promises of God in Isaac's life, right? He's recognizing it. Even when, when, we, when, we, when Isaac could may, would maybe at times doubt it and see it, even this pagan king is recognizing that the promises of God are being fulfilled in Isaac's life. And in repeating the pattern of Abraham once again, Isaac then enters into this covenant with him. He sets out a meal, feeds his guys, has, an, has these oaths with them to protect them, to enter into peace with them. And we see even here that as the covenant people are blessed, then they are extending that blessing to the nations. And we see that theme over and over again even here. But as we look at this story, as we look at all these stories, one of the themes that just continues to to rise up to be be shown to us is this theme of blessing. It's littered throughout the book of Genesis, this theme of blessing. Blessing all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, but what does it mean to be blessed, to experience the blessing of God? We are blessed, right? And isn't it Galatians chapter 3, 9, that says, says that, that those of faith are blessed with the man of faith, Abraham, right? We are blessed just as Abraham was blessed. And so, how do we understand that? How do we receive that? How do we experience that blessing? Because in the life of Abraham and now in the life of Isaac, how do we see that blessing? Well, it appears in the form of financial prosperity, God providing abundantly for Isaac. You know, what does it say in, in, in verse 13? It says, the man became rich. He gained more and more until he became very wealthy. So is that what blessing means? So we get rich, we get wealthy. That's how it manifests itself in Abraham's life and Isaac's life. And passages like this have been taken by some to teach that God desires to bless us. And thus, it means that we are going to be healthy, we're going to be wealthy, we're going to get everything that we desire. And if you just have enough faith, like Abraham and like Isaac, then God will make you prosperous and specifically, you will gain financial wealth. But is that what God means when He says, I will bless you? And this idea of blessing is a, is a, a word that just gets kind of thrown around all the time. In Christianity, right? Oh, don't you just feel blessed today? Woke up, sun was shining. Ah, oh, blessed. Get your cup of coffee, you sit down. Oh, I'm just blessed today. You know, we, we, we throw it. We, we basically, it becomes this tag to describe any time in life when things are going well. When, when, when it's a good day. We have good circumstances. Now, let me say, there is a very real sense in which, for the believer... All forms of temporal prosperity, of life success, of financial gain, can and should be recognized as flowing from the blessings and the favor of God upon our lives. Absolutely. A beautiful sunny day is a blessing from God upon our lives. But if we rightly understand what it fundamentally means for God to bless us, then we will understand that we can never equate the blessing of God with mere riches or positive life circumstances. To reduce the blessing of God to money, to stuff, or to success, or to health, is to vastly underestimate the kind of abundance that God desires for us to experience. You know, I was trying trying to think, how how could we even begin to kind of illustrate this? It just came to mind, I thought of like going to Cold Stone ice cream, you guys like ice cream? It's almost ice cream season. If you like Cold Stone ice cream, you know, you go in there, you pick it out, they mix all this stuff into your ice cream and it's, it's awesome. You can get all this, like a, a whole brownie embedded in your ice cream. You can get all these other toppings, just fill it in there, caramel, all this other stuff. To, to say like uh, God's blessing is just like stuff it gives me or like, you know, the wealth that I can accumulate. Kind of like going to Cold Stone and just being like, hey, just give me a vanilla. Just give me just vanilla. That's all I want. It's just vanilla, when like there's so much more, there's so much more that's offered, there's so much more that you can get, there's so much more that you can receive and experience and, and understand in this. The vanilla might be great, it might be really good, vanilla ice cream. Maybe you're a vanilla person, I don't know. I think vanilla is like the lowest bar on the ice cream scale. <laughs> there's a reason why they have the phrase, it's so vanilla, right? You know, it's like, but, but... <laughs> but God is in these passages we're not meant to say that that and, and to receive, think that God is just wanting to bless us just by giving us stuff a great life everything in life just kind of works out the way we want it it's much deeper than that yes it might manifest itself his blessing might manifest itself in in a new job in, in you know a raise in the birth of a, of a child, in a, in a great family life, in a, in a great trip, and a vacation. All those things certainly can be manifestations of God's blessing on us. But they, we can never think that God's blessing terminates on those things itself. What we see throughout Genesis, and specifically in this chapter, is that God's blessing is connected with and flows from His presence with His people. All the way back in Genesis 1, when God creates man and woman... He puts them in the garden and sends them out to to reflect Himself, to experience the abundance of this good world that He has created. And what do they do? They experience fellowship with God as He comes and walks with them. In the cool of the day, they have this, this perfect world in abundance, but they have it in right relationship with God, experience the presence of God. And what happens in Genesis 3 when sin comes in and fractures that relationship the abundance and the place of blessing is where they are cast out from, cast out of the presence of God and sent out into a world in which they're going to experience the curse of the world. And we could, we could keep track of this, this all over all over the Bible, but, but specifically here in Genesis 26, we have three times that God declares, I will be with you, Isaac, in verse Uh, Three, God says, I will be with you and I will bless you. Verse 24 says, fear not, for I am with you. And then Abimelech comes and says, hey, God has been with you. So we see that God is first and foremost with Isaac, and from that he blesses him. God's blessing of Abraham and Isaac flows from the relational presence of God. God's blessing is manifested certainly in successful crops and divine provision, but the blessing of God is first and foremost bound up with God's people dwelling in God's place with God's presence. God's blessing is manifested in in some of these other things, but it is first and foremost bound up with God's people dwelling in God's place experiencing God's presence. And God's blessing certainly does not mean the absence of adversity, right? What did Isaac face? Isaac faced famine. He faced years of barrenness with his wife. He faced social hostility from those around him. It wasn't all easy. But God declares his ongoing presence with him through those things and his commitment to provide. And throughout the Bible, we see that it is amidst the circumstances that are less than ideal, that that God extends grace, and it's His presence that then leads to future blessing. And throughout the Bible, we see God's plan of redemption as it is being worked out through this family where God is seeking to solve this ultimate problem of how a holy God can dwell with a sinful people and how they can experience His blessing. And that is what is answered Ultimately in the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, we could not dwell in God's presence, so it is it is God who comes to dwell with us, as Emmanuel, God with us, as Jesus tabernacles among us, he is the faithful Son who extends the blessings of God to us. He extends God's presence to us in himself, and he takes on himself the curse of the covenant. As the blessings are always set against these curses, Jesus then comes to extend blessing by taking on Himself the curse of the covenant. He is cut off on the cross where He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And He does that so that we might be brought back into the presence of God and experience His full blessing offered not just in what He can give us, but in the joy of a relationship with Him. And that is why the psalmist can declare, "At your in your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is why the, the words of Jesus as He left, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, as He sent His disciples out to, to, to go be a blessing to the world by making disciples of all nations, what does He say? He says that's That blessing is going to continue because I am going to be with you even to the end of the age. And we experience the blessing of God every day, not necessarily because things work out the way that we want or because we never face trials or difficulties, but first and foremost, we experience God's blessing because we have been restored to a right relationship with God. And only from first experiencing God's presence can we begin to recognize His blessings. And the last thing that we must remember when it comes to experiencing the blessing of God is that any blessing that we have been given is intended by God to be a means by which we can bless others. God's purpose for His people is not just to be recipients of His blessing, but also to be an extension of God's blessing. God is continuing to bring blessing to all the nations through His people and specifically His church. So whatever you have been blessed with, how can you use that to bless others? Whether it's your house, maybe inconveniencing yourself, to provide a a place of refuge and living for someone else. Maybe it's your resources, your gifts, your talents, everything that you enjoy for yourself, that you can recognize and say that God has given me this. How can you view those things as that which God has given to you so that you can be a blessing to others? And we we could spend all day talking about the way that this church has been an extension of God's blessing to so many people. I don't know that the kids will allow us to spend that much time. but We have been blessed, first and foremost, so that we can be a blessing to others, that God extends his blessing through his people. So, who are you seeking ultimately to be a blessing to? And what is the, the greatest way in which you can bless this world? You can bless others? It's ultimately by rehearsing the same story. The story of God's redemption and the reality that eternal blessing has been offered to us in the gospel. That is the greatest blessing that we can give and extend to others. There's been a challenge, as we have said, to, to everybody just to think how can how can you make a disciple this year? Who can you be a blessing to this year? One person through that call that that Jesus gave to His disciples to make disciples of all nations, to teach them to love Him, to submit their lives to Him. And in that, to, to be blessed by God by having a relationship with Him to enter into the presence of God first and foremost. As we close down tonight, or this afternoon, Isaac's life once again reminds us of the reality that God's provision overcomes all obstacles as his faithfulness endures from one generation to the next. It didn't stop with Abraham. It doesn't stop with Isaac. It doesn't stop with the the deception and the fighting that happens between Jacob and Esau, as we're going to see even next week. But it continues on because it's not about the recipients of the promises. It's about the one who gives them. And we can continue today to experience the blessings of God because His Spirit lives within us. His presence is still here with us, and we are blessed in whatever we do because it comes from God and not us. So I close today with the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica when he said to them, he said, he who called you is faithful. We've been seeing that over and over again, the faithfulness of the covenant God, that's the theme, that's the focus of really the whole book of Genesis. It's the same thing that we need to hear over and over again that He who called us is faithful and He surely will do it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time, this gathering of your people, all generations represented here, and all generations who need to remember and realize and experience that your faithfulness endures from one generation to the next. It doesn't depend on us. It's not lost with us, but it depends on you who will fulfill your promises. You will bless us, not because we deserve it, but fully because you are gracious to us. So we ask that you would help us to be a people who lives in light of these promises, that we stand firm on the promises that have been given to us in Christ, that we would leave here knowing that we are blessed, not merely because of circumstances that are going the way that we like but because we have been brought into relationship with you. It's in your beautiful and glorious name that we pray this morning. Amen.